Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source of news, sports, and opinion with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It helps us get the show out there. Share this podcast with your friends, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever the finest podcasts are found. You can find Gerald or I. Please feel free to connect with us on social uh, media at Longhorn Pod or at Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. I'm always here, you guys. Um, but I'm alone. Uh, I will be having a guest join in a moment. Uh, but uh, I, I am without fellow co-host, the honestly the heart and soul of this very podcast. Gerald Goodrich does not join us because he he brought a new human into the world. Really, his his wonderful wife did, but he was there offering emotional support and wonderful parenting to. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share names. That's up to him to do. But uh, to a wonderful. Uh, future ut commit of the let's see 2038 uh, recruiting class that seems absurd uh to think about but uh we are uh thrilled for gerald join me in wishing a a well wish a warm thought uh for him and his family as they just brought a uh, a new uh, baby boy into existence. Uh, so Gerald's taking some time to take care of his fatherly duties. I will not. Um, I will not besmirch him uh, or, or request that he does something as as simple as this or as small as this podcast in the grand scheme of things. So I'm here. Don't worry, guys. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to guide you through uh, this week, the happenings, the goings on. Uh, we obviously have some some interesting things to talk about uh, because it's my show. And because I get to do what I want without the uh, the parents around, you know, when dad's away, the kids will play. We're going to mix it up a little bit in the format. But the first thing we're going to do is we are bringing on a uh, an old friend of the podcast. He's been on here a couple times to preview Kansas football. That's right. Knock on wood, folks. We think that there will be football uh, to come in, in a matter uh, of weeks until we hear otherwise, which we'll talk about a little further on this podcast. We'll talk about KU football. We'll talk about some news in a combined Let's call it downing the 40 burn orange lenses, bang the drum section that, that is all of the greatest hits. And then, uh, yeah, we will we will keep this one short and sweet, get it to your ears. And hopefully when Gerald is, uh, is settled down a little bit, he can be returning to us in the coming weeks, if not next week. So we'll see. But let's jump right in. So we are now 40 days from college football kickoff and of course there's air quotes around college football and kickoff uh assuming that the season happens we are 40 days away from getting college football back in our lives so like uh moses in in, in the desert and uh and 40 days of josh hartnett uh we are in the the most difficult waiting period here it's so close yet so far and so uncertain but the thing we have certainly tonight for us is a treat we bring back a good friend of the pod, Andy Mitz, to talk a little Kansas football. Andy, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. And actually, as long as you don't care which team is playing, it's actually only 33 days because Oklahoma and Kansas both moved up their season openers an extra week. You, you know, that that's a good point. That's, uh, you know, I, I love the city of New Orleans. That's a little thing we call lanyap. Uh, that's that's the the free, just throw it on top football. You know, I'll take it. I love uh, any week zero, any any extra stuff. It's It's 40 days to Texas, probably a similar time frame with, uh, with KU. But, uh, yeah, as soon as college football itself is back, it just feels like the air smells a little sweeter and the world feels a little bit more right. Yeah, we actually had to update our own countdown because uh, 
KU moved their game up because their their season opener canceled on them when when uh, some some of those other teams or some of the conferences decided to cancel, and so they actually found an FCS opponent. Um, but they had to do it in, in week zero. So for us, like we were all on the same countdown as you guys. Yeah. And then uh, realized, oh, wait a minute, we got to, we, we got to chop seven days off the countdown without actually doing anything. So, <laughs> you know, that that's, that's a nice, nice gift. Right there. I think it's the Salukis, right? Who are y'all? Southern Illinois. Is that right? I believe Southern Illinois is not, uh, Northern Illinois is the Salukis. I don't remember oh. what Southern Illinois is, but it's, you know, the, why don't we have that at our, our ready? That's such a, a common university that everyone obviously uh, follows their their football team oh no i'm sorry you were right it is a salukis i was thinking of the huskies the huskies yeah because the the huskies actually they had uh they had an nfl running back out of there a couple years ago if i recall garrett uh wolf i think played for the bears anyways um yeah i don't i don't know what the salukis are but hopefully it's a win uh for y'all to get your season started i do think these these 30 days are going to be interesting when we talk about schedules i think there's going to be some more fluidity uh happening obviously as decisions uh get made and and speaking of of decisions getting made right the the head uh of of the program of ku or more aptly in your case the hat the decision maker uh the big cheese less miles comes back for his second year in charge so we know last year uh going three and nine uh one and eight in the big 12 um less probably has expectations of, of moving that needle forward uh how does how does he do that and, and i mean what do you think uh overall of, of less miles year one heading into year two well so year one was probably about as good as you can actually expect because he brought the excitement back to the program obviously the results weren't nearly where we wanted them to be but if you take into account the fact well one you know, he obviously made the mistake of not really embracing a modern college offense at all, um, which really cost them quite a bit in the first few games. Um, you know, Brent, Brent Deerman made his debut. Um, you know, I, I put that in quotes because technically he wasn't allowed to really have any actual game input. Um, but they used one of his packages heavily in the Boston College game where the offense really took off, which led directly to him taking over as the offensive coordinator um, halfway through the season in that game against Texas. Um, but, you know, so while, while there was definitely some growing pains at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, they also had to deal with players randomly leaving, like Khalil Herbert left right before the game against TCU so he could use his red shirt and transfer. Like, there was a lot of really weird stuff happening, and they were able to keep the team, you know, actually keep the guys in the locker room and, and really keep themselves from falling off a cliff. Um, and really, it was just a matter of, finding the right guy to run the offense. And they seem to have done that now in Brent Dearman. I think that's where most of the excitement comes from is the fact that they have Brent Dearman coming back, his first opportunity to install his offense. And even though, you know, COVID-19 really caused issues with trying to do the install during the spring, you know, he was there enough. All the returning guys, you know, have worked with his terminology. He can really start to bring the kind of plays that he wants. They're able to do Zoom calls and, and other calls to really – get all of that information into the players' heads. They just can't run reps right now. And so the idea being the way that Brent Deerman has run his offense in the past is a lot of adapting his style to the guys that he have, finding unique ways to use them. And so I think that there's going to be quite a few wrinkles there that are really going to allow them to do things that are going to surprise a lot of people. And it's going to cause excitement for this Kansas team, especially among the fan base, because they realize now that they have an, a, a, a staff that really – can take what they have and get the best out of it. Even if, you know, they are behind on talent um, compared to a lot of the other Big 12 teams, there's at least an opportunity for them to surprise some people, 
to really give some very good competitive showings where we haven't really had that hope with the last few coaches. Well, and, and, and we certainly empathize Texas in the same situation with breaking in a new offensive coordinator and then not getting the, you know, the very useful springtime to do so. But the difference, I think, uh, the, at least the, the most obvious and glaring difference is Texas brings back uh, a fourth-year senior in, in Sam Ellinger and the Jayhawks have to replace a fifth-year senior in Carter Stanley last year who, I mean, with that first game uh, coming out of the bye week against Texas in, in Deerman's offense um, was just unbelievable and then really had a, you know, a, a pretty solid season all the way through. But those two games with Texas and Tech and then, you know, even the Iowa State game after that had a really solid um, second half of the season for the most part. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not a Kansas expert, but for someone looking on the outside in, it seems like the best quarterback at KU since, uh, since Todd Reesing. So how do you replace – a quarterback who, who you know, had had a great year like that, brought back all that uh, experience in, in, in being the fifth-year senior. Um, and, and, and who, you know, is, is the question, who's going to be taking the snaps uh, when they face the Longhorns this season? Yeah, that's really a good question because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of op- options there. Um, and actually, it, it's, it's kind of funny because we've had this debate over on Rock Talk Talk, the, the site that I write for. Um, you know, and it's, it's I mean – that's kind of really been the or your statement about uh, Carter Stanley potentially being the best quarterback they've had um, since Todd Reesing. Like that actually is probably actually true. Um, it was a very very good season. Honestly, he had a fairly good season his freshman year. Um, you know when he didn't really get a a really good chance, but he was able to get that win over Texas that really kind of put him on the map. And we thought that was going to lead into him having multiple years to be the starter. And it just never worked out under David Beatty for whatever reason. Um, but what, what you saw from him was really the ability to, um, to take the trust that the coaches did have in him and really kind of put that on the field and show what, what he brought that doesn't necessarily come out in the measurables. Um, but the fact that they were able to get that much out of him and continue to get more out of him as the year went on, again, kind of goes back to the, you know, the, the success that we're hoping a guy like Brent Deering can bring to this, to this team. Now, the question becomes, you know, of the quarterbacks they have on the roster, because they have a bunch of them, um, which one is the most likely to actually go ahead and get the start um, to be able to, to do what it is that he wants to do? Um, a lot of people would probably say that Thomas McAvity is, is the leader in the clubhouse, um, just because he was the backup last year. He only threw one pass last year, though, and it was an interception against Oklahoma State. Um, was not really set up well for that play at all. But, uh, you know, I, I actually have to think that even though McVitie came, you know, as a, a junior college transfer um, with the expectation he was going to be the starter last year, I just – I don't see how he fits Brent Dearman's system the way that he needs him to. Um, like, if he ends up being the starter, I think Brent Dearman can make it work. But, but I think he's going to look more towards a guy like Miles Kendrick, who, you know, is very, very mobile um, but still has, has a decent arm. Um, or, you know, the guy that I think is kind of the dark horse is – the guy that Brent Dearman actually recruited himself in freshman quarterback Jalen Daniels. Um, you know, there is an opportunity there for him. I do think he's going to be a little raw and not having the spring to really work on that or not really having much of the summer workouts to really work on what he would need to. I find it hard to believe he's going to be the starter coming out of the gate. So my money would be on Miles Kendrick to, to at least start the year. And then if he's performing well, you know, with, with him being, um, you know, an upperclassman, I, I expect him to keep the job until he's not able to do it anymore to the level that Brent Dermott needs him to. Well, I think, I think whoever gets to, you know, be the quarterback of that offense does have a really solid 
group to throw to. I mean, the opposite end of the spectrum of, of not knowing who's there. I think you return most of your top receivers and, and uh, you know, Andrew Parchman, a preseason all big 12, uh, rightfully so selection. I think he had over 800 yards, seven touchdowns last year, Stefan Robinson, uh, 700 <clears throat> plus and eight TDs. Um, I mean, is this the strongest group on the team and who else uh, besides those two should uh, Longhorn fans be looking at? Yeah, I mean, the entire wide receiver core is actually stacked. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to say that for a Kansas team, but what, we've, what we came to find out is that the biggest issue with Kansas has not been that they don't have skill position players. It's that the one skill position player that's the most important, the quarterback, hasn't been able to utilize everyone else very well. Um, because, you know, before Andrew Parchman and Stephon Robinson, like, you know, they had several guys who on any other team in the Big 12 probably would have been first team all Big 12. Um, you know, they have had several – um, really, really good wide receivers come through that just didn't really show out at all because nobody could get them the ball. Um, and so, like, even behind those two, Ezra Naylor had a lot of really big catches last year. Kwame Lasseter uh, made big play after big play last year, too. So they've got, a, a you know, a, a stack of four wide receivers who are absolutely fantastic. And the hope is going to be that they can get them what they need to in terms of the ball. Um, James Sosinski, actually, I don't even see him on the depth chart here for whatever reason, but he was able to get a, a red shirt, I believe, to be able to come back. Him at, at tight end, he made a, quite a few big plays last year. His actual claim to fame is that he was a walk-on for the Kansas basketball team. Um, so he's actually the only, the only player that I can think of that has played for both Bill Self and Les Miles and actually played on the field for both of them. So, um, but you know, to, to complement the wide receivers and the tight ends, there's also the running back position. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you're probably going to get there at some point, but Puka Williams, yeah. first team, all Big 12 as well, preseason. Yeah. Um, but what was really weird, like he still continued to show out all year after Cleo Herbert was gone, after Don Williams was gone. Both of those guys decided to take red shirts so that they could transfer and go elsewhere. Um, stepping up behind Puka is a guy that actually really reminds me of Puka Williams in Velton Gardner. He has the same kind of shiftiness, the same kind of acceleration, can really kind of get out there. Um, they've used him a whole lot more in, in pass catching. He hasn't been a between-the-tackles kind of runner, um, and which really I think that's the one thing that Kansas doesn't really have, at least proven, is a guy that can run in between the tackles and just will his way to a first down by running over guys. Um, now, you can make up a lot for that when, when Puka can just make a guy miss, even in the middle of traffic. So that really helps out. But the hope is that Amari Pesek-Hickson, I always mess his name up, He's a freshman coming in. He's a big, bruising kind of guy. The hope is that he can step in and kind of take that role. Kansas is also really well known for using fullbacks. Um, Les Miles' son is actually the fullback on this team. He was the fullback for them last year. So the hope is that he's going to get a decent number of lead block slash carries to really kind of help pound the ball in there. So they have a lot of offensive weapons. The question is just going to be how well can they use them, how well can they mix it up so that teams can't key in on, a, on, on one particular guy on a play. And, and it may have been just uh, Puka Williams, one of the most electrifying players in the in the Big Twelve. No uh, disrespect to him, but it may have been a subconscious disrespect because of the 190 and two TDs he hung on Texas last year that I waited that long to uh, to bring him up. Um, but uh, but no, I mean he PTSD. He, that, that, that that's that's all it was. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean you look at it though, right? I mean just uh, Oklahoma. He you know really all the the, the biggest games of. Last season for y'all, I mean, he, he had 120 against Boston College, uh, 100 and almost 140 against Oklahoma. I remember some great runs in that game, lit Texas up, like I mentioned. Um, and then in the end of the year, kind of uh, let's just pretend like the actual season finale didn't happen and your last game would have been Iowa State. Um, a really strong showing there with 154 yards, averaging eight yards a carry. I mean, he, he showed up 
in big games. And I think that's what warranted his, his preseason um, big 12. I mean, he, like I said, I think he's just one of the most fun players. I genuinely liked watching him until he, he did, you know, unspeakable things to the, that, that uh, Texas defense last year that, uh, you know, probably led to some of our changes on, on the uh, multiple defensive coaches, including the defensive coordinator, no longer being with the Texas program uh, for this year. But that said, we know that Puka creates a lot on his own, and we know you have a, a burner behind him. But I still think with a less miles team and, and, a, and a, probably a team that wants to run the ball a good amount, the O-line becomes imperative. And, and, and I think replacing one of the better you know, offensive linemen in the conference last year, Nakeem uh, Adnizia, who's, who's with the Bengals, I believe, got drafted. Um, I mean, how, how does that offensive line replace a guy like that um, and I mean, does it take a step back? Is that, I mean, what are you expecting this year? So that's a, that's an interesting question because yes, they, they definitely are losing some talent. They do have quite a few guys that have come in and they've been focusing on offensive line and, and recruiting. Obviously it's going to, you know, determine how well those guys gel. Like that's going to determine whether those, those guys are considered to be any good or not. Um, but what we actually came to find out last year was the more that Brent Dearman instituted a system the more he really got towards that quick release, good, getting the ball out from behind the line and taking advantage of that. It doesn't hurt that Velton Gardner and Puka Williams can both get from the backfield out into the flat extremely fast. And so, you know, making it so they only have to block for, you know, a second and a half to two seconds is one way to kind of overcome the issues that they've had. Where they really run into problems is where they need to run in the middle because like, like Kansas State did a really good job last year with their linebackers. And then the way that they press with their corners to keep Kansas from getting out into the flat. So they had to do stuff in the middle and those linebackers and that defensive line were really able to just take advantage of the fact that they were much more talented on the lines. And so that I think has to be the way to stop Kansas is that in order for you to take advantage of that offensive line, you have to keep them from the quick hits out in the flats and really keep them in the middle of the field. Um, the problem again, trying to do that though, is when you have guys like Andrew Parchment um, and Stefan Robinson, if you try to push up too much and play, you know, down in the flats to really kind of pressure that, they can burn you. And so the question is going to be about mixing that up again in the right kind of it, – it's really going to come down to a lot of guessing is when, when are they going deep so that you can protect against that? When are they going to try to go out to the flats? And when are you going to successfully keep them in the middle and allow your defensive line to really take over the game there? So, I mean, it sounds like, listen, you have, you have some excitement about the offense. There's a lot of talented skill position players on that side of the ball. Let's flip a little bit now and look at the defense. I think replacing something like six starters, um, but not necessarily a, a bad thing on a unit that, that, you know, didn't sparkle at all times last year, last in the Big 12 and total defense, scoring defense, sacks, takeaways, and run defense. But I think, you know, just me being a Texas fan who's been around the Big 12 for a long time, there's a guy coming back who's got a little bit of Jordan Shipley in his story just in the sense that he's, he's coming back for a kind of a medical sixth year, just never seems to not be around the program. Uh, in linebacker Drew Pox, who started off a great year last year, um, I think played four games before he got hurt, but, but we'll be back and I think we'll instantly improve the defense. Who else um, are you looking to, um, to kind of create some havoc uh, in the, the front seven of that defense? You know, that's a really good question. Because Kansas really has had a lot of guys in the, in the backfield. Uh, um, you know, and that defensive secondary has really been where the strength of their team has been. Mm -hmm. um, and they typically have one really good defensive lineman. But, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, linebacker, you know. And, and I don't know if they have one. It's, um, Drew Prox, I mean, is expected to kind of step into that role when he comes back. The problem is 
you know, while he was phenomenal um, to start the season, that injury that he's coming back from, he may not be there immediately. Like he may not be at full strength there. And so you've got to, you've really got to kind of worry about that. Um, I'm, I'm struggling right now trying to remember some of the names of some of these guys. There's been a lot of turnover um, for, for Kansas, but you know, they've, they had to throw in a lot of guys. And so while there's not any one particular name that really comes to mind, what they have done is gotten a lot of experience for a lot of freshmen last year that normally wouldn't have seen time. Um, And so like, that's where your hope comes from this team is that DJ Elliott's had another year as a defensive coordinator to really figure out what guys can do to really find ways to shift them around and put them in good situations. And, you know, like that's, that's really where your hope is coming from because there isn't anybody who stands out in terms of, you know, these guys are going to be huge defensive bruisers. Um, You know, these guys are going to take over game from the defensive side. It's just not there. Kansas is going to have to have a very good team effort on the defense to really, really slow down other teams to give their offense a chance to keep them in games. And unfortunately, that's kind of been um, par for the course for them in a lot of years. Um, you know, there have been times where the defense is really good and the offense is absolutely atrocious and vice versa. This is one of those years, though, where you have to, or you have, you have to think that the defense is at least good enough because they have competent coaching that has shown the ability to really scheme around guys and find ways to hide weaknesses as much as possible. And the hope is that Drew Prox just comes back and balls out and is really able to be the leader that this defense needs. So we talked about the front half of the defense. The, the, the second ha- secondary last year was probably the strength of that defense, and you, you're replacing, first of all, two of, I think, the best names in, in the Big 12 in both literally Hassan defense and, and the most Kansas name, Bryce Tornadon, who I imagine is just a country way of saying tornado, um, in, in addition to safety Mike Lee. So that's a tall task. Um, of three, you know, pretty solid Big 12 contributors in the the uh, defensive backfield. Are there any names uh, ready to step up in that area? Well, the hope was going to be that Corian Harris was going to step up, but he got himself into a little bit of legal trouble legal trouble um, in the spring, and so there's there's definitely a, a lot of questions. Like I said, you know, they're they're relying on a lot of new guys, a lot of younger guys. Um, it's I hate to say it, but there's really not anyone that stood out for me. Um, even in the, you know, even in the backfield. And part of that, I think, is just the fact that those guys, you know, that those first four in the two corners and the, and the two safety spots were so dominant last year, were so good. And while they would rotate off the field, the guys that they were rotating with were also seniors. They had a very, very, very experienced backfield last year. Um, it's going to be really hard to see who is able to step in. That's, that's why camp was going to be so important for this defense because yeah. there was going to be a lot of young guys that had to establish the kind of the hierarchy of where people were going to go. When they finally get started back here on July 31st, they're going to immediately have to identify who the starters are. It just adds another layer, layer of complexity. The hope is that these guys have all learned the system well enough that whoever gets the starter reps is going to be able to jump in and really take care of it. But, you know, I think it's going to be rough for this defense, at least for the first few weeks, until guys have really settled in and gotten it figured out. And then the hope is that they can just get settled in well enough that they can go ahead and actually start to perform pretty well. And that they hopefully can catch some of these, you know, teams early in their schedule, a little off balance of what they're able to do offensively that the defense just doesn't matter as much. So for you to wrap it up, then what's, what's the one key factor that you're looking for, for, for success uh, this season, something you'll be watching each game, each play or whatever it is, just kind of what you as someone who knows this team is looking for that will, will indicate a step forward in success this season? I mean, it's, I, I, I want to say turnovers in terms of defensively, because mm-hmm. that's how Kansas has usually found their success on the defensive end. 
but I just don't know if they have enough ball hawks that I, that I am comfortable in saying that that's going to be a big point for them. I think it's really just going to be um, – so like, I, I think really it comes down to quarterback play. If they find a quarterback that can execute the offense, that can score very proficiently and take advantage of all of the talent they have on the offensive end, um, you know, it's not really going to matter what the defense does. Like the defense can give up a bunch of points. You can get in a bunch of big shootouts like they did against Texas last year and Texas Tech to some degree and still probably win half of those games that, you know, as long as your offense is competitive, you, you're looking at a coin flip to be able to try to win the game, even against some of the better teams. I mean, you know, the last few years, Kansas has played Oklahoma really well for a really long time. And then the defense falls apart when the offense can't, can't keep up. And so like the key for Kansas being successful this year is to make sure that the offense keeps going. And that's where Brent Deerman comes in and him finding a quarterback is going to be crucial. Well, that's uh, that's a that's a very good recap. I love the idea of you being kind of the little Oklahoma uh, from a couple of years ago who just says we'll play some defense, but we uh, we're going to try to put fifty on you. That makes for fun watching for for the neutral. It's a heart attack if if it's against the horns. But I say we put a pin there in the serious analysis, and we know what the listeners really come to uh, come to this podcast for. So we're gonna we're gonna switch to the section we now call. Uh, and Gerald hates this. He's not here though today, so uh, so I get to get to say it with no. Uh, new side eye or sense of appraisal. Um, this is uh, the hooked them section where we ask you a few off the wall questions and you just kind of answer with the first thing uh, that comes to your mind. I'm going to lob it up with the softball on the first one. Everyone around the entire country understands the importance of rock chalk Jayhawk and in that just being iconic. Is there, well, and then I'll just ask it this way. What is the best football specific Kansas tradition um, or, or your favorite? The only one that really comes to mind would be waving the wheat, which is every, every time they score. I mean, they, they do it some with the basketball as well, but where you really get to see it is out in football. Um, essentially where, you know, they, they start playing the, the uh, I forget even what the song is because it's not actually the alma mater uh, or even the fight song, but um, you know, they, they just, they, they start playing and everybody just waves, you know, back and forth and opposite. Um, kind of like wheat that's just blowing in the wind. So that's that's really the one thing that really sticks out. That's cool. Uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that for sure. Um, so the uh, <laughs> this is, I think, our I'm trying to remember our seventh seventh preview of of the season. And and Gerald had a streak going before he he stepped out. And I wanted to make sure to to do the spirit of his streak correct. So um, I will just throw this out there. So for the seventh week in a row, this is a stretch, but but I'm going to get us there. In, in respect of him. So Wilt Chamberlain was in a film called Conan the Destroyer with former professional actor, uh, for, for, former professional wrestler turned actor, Pat Roach. Uh, National treasure Mandy Patinkin was in The Princess Bride with Andre the Giant. So very close uh, to some wrestlers. So that's our tenuous connection. Unrelated to the question, a, a player on this current roster uh, most likely to be a professional wrestler and what would their finishing move be called? Oh gosh. Um, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here because I do not really watch too much wrestling. So then, um, then, then I'm you can be as in terms of- outlandish as you would possibly like, just uh, you could come up with something that has no, no, no actual relation. Um, maybe a big guy, maybe a, a, a fast talking little guy uh, with some swagger. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to think, you know, what, what actually jumps out to me is not even one of the players. Uh, you know, I, I just, I get this feeling that Les Miles is going to make a cameo appearance uh, in the WWE one of these days. And his signature move is going to be 
you know, when they knock a guy down on the ground because he's he'll be in, you know, a, a a tag team, he'll jump in, he'll go and pretend to like pick a blade of grass off the top of someone's head and then eat it. <laughs> that might actually be the most realistic possible answer we've gotten in all of our previews this season. I think uh, that one is probably the most likely. You know, Les is just just crazy enough that I could see see him doing that. Um, I all mean, right, if, so you- if if Gronk can wrestle and right. Ronda Rousey can, you know, be a wrestler as well. Yeah. A guy like Les Miles, he's been in movies, you know, he, he likes to do that crazy off the wall stuff. I, that's I could right. I see it happening. That's right. I mean, I mean, how much of a leap is it to go from uh, Dr. Pepperville to, uh, to the, the, the squared circle. So um, the next one here, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you because, you know, I, I know you love to talk about KU and your, your multiple famous alumni. One thing I noticed, there is a famous UT Austin alumni uh, who, who in one of his more iconic roles said, uh, I keep getting older, but they stay the same age. Of course, McConaughey, uh, his Wooderson character in, in, in Days and Confused. Um, and, and the person who made me think of this was Paul Rudd. I keep getting older, but somehow Paul Rudd looks like he stays the same age. So I'm going to ask you some, some rapid-fire trivia. And, I, and the goal here is to get within plus or minus five years of a few famous KU alumni's actual age. So Paul oh, Rudd, how old? Uh, I'm going to say 49. You're right there. 51 years old. Uh, as oh, wow. mentioned, mentioned before, beloved uh, actor Mandy Patinkin. Uh, 63. Right there. 67. You're in, in a plus or minus Dang. four. Uh, I, I, iconic uh, Comedy Central and, and multiple um, comedy movie roles, including Step Brothers, 21 Jump Street, etc. Rob Riggle. Uh, any, any guesses there? I want to say that he's older than you probably would think. Probably, I'm going to say 52. 50 years old. You are crushing this. Dang. And, and I'm, a lot, I'm normally horrible at these. Like there's a, they, they do this a lot with like the, cause one of the local radio stations does this with like NFL players and they'll uh-huh. take like NFL players and NFL staff, like people around the NFL sure. and you compare them to and say who, who's older. And yeah. I am horrible at those, but apparently I'm really good when, when numbers are involved. That's it. Maybe, maybe you need to call into the station and, and offer a new segment, say, I'm Andy Mitz and I know numbers. Um, this one is tough because I had to triple check that this number actually um, is still going up. And he is. He's still alive. Bob Dole. Bob Dole. I'm going to say uh, 89. Your first miss. He is 97 that, years young. That, oh, my gosh. Born in 1923. Uh, been retired since the age of 72. Wow. Bob Dole. Um, so that's, that's all. I did take the time to look up any additional um, ages. But I do have one final question for you. Because you, Andy, I find is a fascinating person. Do you, first, let's ask this. Are you like a huge KU basketball fan? Or really is KU football your main passion? Because I feel like... Oh, no. How- it's, it's definitely KU basketball to start. But okay, I, I, honestly, okay. I just love sports in general. And so like, I'll watch pretty much anything that they do. I, gotcha. I, mean, I, I follow every single one of their teams. I started watching cricket a little while back because I got bored of <laughs> not having stuff like in the middle of the summer. So yeah, I, I, I just love all sports, but Fair definitely enough. KU basketball first and then KU okay. football a close second. Okay. So then this question, I don't know, this may be a much easier answer for you, but maybe not, maybe not. Um, if you could have this year, this season, one of these two things, but only one and the other one absolutely does not happen, which would you pick a KU basketball national championship or a KU football bowl game oh national title of course that, that's <laughs> right. that, that, that one's easy because, that, well no but but it, it's easy one because it's so hard to win a national title in basketball because of all of the 
you know, all of the, um, I guess, luck that goes into in, in the, the NCAA tournament. Um, making a bowl game is definitely a possibility as long as you have the strong foundation that you need. And there's so many more opportunities to make a bowl game. I know that that's going to come for Kansas eventually. I don't know when it's going to, you know, when it's going to happen. But as long as Les Miles just doesn't completely crap the bed and, like, fire Brent Dearman for something stupid, Kansas is going to get there in the next three or four years. Um, and right. so, like, I'm not that worried about it. But you always take a national title in basketball whenever you get the opportunity. That's fair. As someone who's had many a, a March Madness bracket busted by picking Kansas to win it all and then having something stupid where a team that was not nearly as good as Kansas beat Kansas in that tournament, I understand. Or they that. just canceled the tournament. I mean, it also could happen. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I understand it. it is never a, uh, a given, no matter, no matter how many times you're, you're sniffing around one. So, all right, that's, uh, that's it for me for the scripted portion and, and, and unscripted both. We had no Gerald. I did my best on my own. We appreciate you being here andy folks if if people want to find you hear you see more of your uh, your wit and insight where can they track you down on the internet yeah so i write for uh, rock chalk talk the the sb nation side that covers the jayhawks um i have a podcast the rock chalk podcast you find that on twitter at rock chalk pod and now that uh, i've given up the fight against twitter my my new personal account on twitter is at andy mitts 12 <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, well, thank you so much. Everyone give him a, uh, give him a follow and, and again, fingers crossed that football happens and we get to, uh, we get to look in a few short weeks at this, this Texas versus Kansas matchup. Amen. All right. All right. So as I alluded to the top of the show, we are going to just combine in a big kind of, uh, wonderful, beautiful smorgasbord to keep it Midwest with the Kansas theme, a nice, uh, mixing of meats and cheeses on a big plate here. We are going to bring you burn orange lenses, bang the drum down the 40. I probably will skip Godzilla Tron this week. And unless you're really dying to know, um, that I watched Treme, which was fantastic. And I think, uh, I really want to hear Gerald's uh, thoughts on it, so I'll save that one, but that's uh, that's my Godzilla Tron here. Um, and I'll jump right in. So we have some news this week. Uh, three-star tight end Gunnar Helm out of Cherry Creek, Colorado, committed to the Horns. Uh, this is being recorded on the 27th. That, that was today. You'll listen to this tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, so by that point, it'll be a wash in the, the Gunnar Helm uh, statue. He's a big, big uh, player, 6'5", 225, had all the right offers that you look for texas beat out auburn georgia nebraska iowa wisconsin all teams that know how to use a tight end which is a good sign um tight end coach peter uh Bulwer has uh, excuse me jay Polwer uh has four tight ends on the roster and another in juan davis committed um so it should give uh gunner helm who let's just not skip over the fact that it's going to be instantly one of the best names on the roster but should give him a chance to develop and not have to uh right away give anything or have an expectation of him contributing which i think he probably needs to add some size needs to get a little better uh at a couple things filling out his frame um but has a fantastic coach who will be guiding him uh, as well as the other guys on the roster so it's a fantastic get especially given that the coaching staff wanted to get two in this class and there's already been two in Landon King and Lake McRee again losing that name was tough um, but I think we got the the, the best of the bunch in Gunner Helm uh, to fill out and I think that will close the tight end position on the roster with effectively six uh, at the current moment um he will make the 15th member of the 2021 class and keeps ut uh, right around I think the number 12 class per 247 uh, composite um in the kind of additional roster news, uh, I won't go 
too far uh, into it. We'll save it for Gerald because I, I know this is the fun stuff. He loves to talk about it. He's back next week. We can we can dive in. But they did release a 2020 roster, um, and and I'll just say there's some interesting um, notes in it. Obviously, everyone was curious to see what jersey numbers everyone would be wearing, what some of the position listings were. Just a couple highlights. We have Tariq Black at number zero, the first zero I can remember in at least a decade. With Texas football, Bijan Robinson at number five. Um, we had uh, Andre uh, Carrick, who Gerald loves as much as any player in this class, uh, taking, uh, what is it, 69. Nice. Um, and then um, we have uh, a couple other just kind of people that we knew uh, were, were moving. Um, I think Anthony Cook not listed is not a surprise, but just a confirmation. Um, we knew, we heard the news Reese Latow was moving. The defensive side of the ball saw him listed there. I think Alvante Woodard downsized his number, got in the single digits to number nine. So we'll talk about uh, roster implications with Gerald in a little bit more uh detail but uh, i'll say this there's some beef in the running back room a lot of a lot of nice healthy numbers on our running backs including roshan coming in at almost 230 so that's uh that's a healthy sign behind a, a really good returning offensive line and additionally in the kind of roster news a player who hopes to join that roster or we hope he will Arizona linebacker uh, grad transfer candidate Mike Fields uh, announced his final three, and it all happened quite quickly. But, I mean, the season, in theory, is, is, as we said, coming up relatively quickly. But of Texas, West Virginia, and Minnesota, um, if you're looking at a program with some success with grad transfers, you have Calvin Anderson, Trey Watson to some extent. Parker Braun certainly started. Um, so as a, as a grad transfer, Texas has a... Um, you know, a, a pretty attractive spot. And then not to mention uh, the linebacker position. If you've heard us talk uh, at all on this podcast about the defense, we have repeatedly said that's the position that gives us consternation and it just continues to have injury and just all kinds of um, bad luck there. So the, it is a place where snaps should be available. And then in addition, you know, this is a program that's done well with some short-term linebackers uh, recently, obviously Gary Johnson, the shining success, but uh, Jawan Mitchell as well coming in and, and contributing. So I think, you know, has has not been announced, but it is something to keep an eye on as we uh, kind of think about who will be taking snaps at the linebacker position. So I, I think moving out of the hard news and into one of you know the other segments, I have a couple uh, notes here. First is, and, and this is specifically uh, Austin news, but it does have a long-run implication. Tesla uh, and Elon Musk chose Austin for production of its Cybertruck. Uh, there was a picture going around of him flashing the the hook'em with Governor Abbott. That's uh, Texas news in the fact that I saw Coach Jay Valai uh, retweet it. I, I loved his quote, I'm, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man, um, which is, is fantastic. But it, it, this is a recruiting tool. As, as many of these things, when the city of Austin is one of our biggest and best recruiting tools for 18, 17-year-old kids who you know come from probably smaller towns, most likely, uh, in, in the country and, and, and have a chance to visit a thriving urban metropolis of Austin, by far you know really the biggest college football town in the country, uh, certainly one of the most urban and urbane, but uh, just a, a wonderful place place and hey another another notch in the cap uh for for austin having i guess elon musk uh in tesla which is you know in theory not a bad thing uh hanging out and, and flashing the hook'em with the governor uh abbott um 
Speaking of COVID-19, Sam Hellinger announced that he raised 200K for his COVID-19 relief efforts. Um, We report on the podcast, and it's been widely reported months ago um, at the start of this, that he had kind of... um, had announced uh, that, that he was doing this. It's nice to see the follow-up that he said through GoFundMe, they raised you know close to 200K and provided over 150,000 meals and helped many uh, organizations. So, I, I mean, I think it's amazing. Remember, the, these, I think a lot of our listeners may be older than, than college age. I know we have a lot of college listeners, but for all of you who are older, think back to when you were 21, 22, and if you were you know, uh, responsible for collecting $200,000 and distributing it to pandemic relief uh, to help your, you know, your, your people around you. Just just a, a guy who is doing great things is a great example of a real leader and, and, and doing the right things, um, helping out his community, being a part of the greater Austin community we just talked about. So uh, hook him and kudos, Sam. Uh, we also had uh, a stat that came out this week, and this would probably be my bang the drum if we were doing such things, but there were 12 schools that ended last year, the, the end of the season ranked uh, in the top 25 and also returned their head coach in addition to their starting quarterback. Only 12, which I think positions UT in, in a unique and and particularly good uh, position uh, in the sense that they, you know, join a, you know, I think a really good class, the class of uh, competitors you want to be your peers. Uh, Minnesota, who had a fantastic year last year, obviously Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame, uh Florida, Auburn, um, UCF, Cincinnati, Boise. So, uh, you know, a, a great class. Texas certainly on the short list of, um, you know, if those things are the three most important factors to success, they look to be in a pretty good position for uh, for this next season, assuming, again, knocking on wood, that we do have a football season. And finally, the final piece of, uh, of news here that we will uh, announce, and again, we'll save some stuff for, uh, for Gerald when he comes back, uh, is that uh, if there isn't football, there could be another sporting event that folks are interested in that have a Longhorn perspective. Noted fast human being, Tyreek Hill, called out noted Longhorn and Longhorn graduate, I believe as of this offseason, Marquise Goodwin is a UT graduate, finished his uh, degree during the the downtime, took a chance to uh, make the best of it. Um, and, and Tyree Kill challenged Olympian and, and fellow lightning-fast human being um, to a race. He said to, to at him on Twitter uh, if, you know, if, if he was interested in such a thing. And Marquise Goodwin in... in, in with no lack of bravado and confidence said, you can't beat me and tagged him 12 times at cheetah, of course, being his handle. Um, also saying I pulled up Florida last year to see you specifically uh, pull up this time. I want my money. Said, so look, uh, you know, here it is. Uh, you got two fast guys. You got a whole country yearning for sports. We've seen ridiculous sports take hold during these times. Why not Marquise Goodwin racing, uh, players you know uh chad johnson's wondered out loud if he would win a four by one relay today uh i think you know uh, terrell owens has tried to get back in the news by racing people uh you know it, it, it's it's why not marquis goodwin olympic uh olympian noted athlete track star nfl speedster I think he would smoke Tyreek Hill. I think we all want to see it. Uh, and, and I think that's a, uh, a a great note to end the show on. Uh, hit us up 
in in the uh, the replies of Texas at our uh, our handle, of course, at Longhorn Pod. If you want to tweet us, if your thoughts, if you think Marquise stands a chance, if you think Tyreek Hill is actually as football fast as he would be on a track, uh, let us know what you think there or anything about today's show, or, or if you want to send Gerald his his well wishes and congrats and good vibes, tweet those at us at well uh, as well. Use the the uh, like we said hashtag at or hashtag replies of Texas at Longhorn Pod. Also, feel free, folks, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at LonghornRepublicPod at gmail dot com. Uh, this week. It is a solo show. I'm Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. It's been a good one. We miss Gerald. We're excited for you. Best father I know. <laughs>